Let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So Paul is saying, just like if a woman is married to a man and she is bound by that, and if he dies, then she is freed from that relation. Well, he used that as an example that the law died with Christ. Why? So that we could marry someone else. The, the Jews were married to the law. The law was bound upon them, a heavy weight. God says, you got to do this in order to, in order to have uh, holiness, in order to have righteousness. They couldn't do it. It was a heavy weight. And so Jesus came. The law died with him. It was identified through him. And because of that, we are free from the law, and we can marry into, I use the word marry in quotations, into Christ and his relationships. That's why the church is called the bride of Christ, because we can marry into Christ and his suffering and his pain, and we can associate with that. Let's go on to um, verses um, 7 through 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Verse 13, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it you. Uh, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So we have freedom in the law, and the way we have freedom is that, is that what we learned in the first part of that, of that chapter is that the law no longer has power to condemn us. Jesus took that law, and it died with him. Before, it was, it was a law that condemned us unto hell. But now, because it died with Christ, it no longer condemns us. And it no longer convicts, uh, and, and it no longer condemns us, but the law does convict us of sin. 
Paul goes on to say, using this example in daily life, you know, it's amazing. When you tell your children the boundaries of where they can go, where they can't go, the first thing they do is they test those boundaries. They say, hey, I want to see how far I can go with that. Hey, you can't use electronics. Okay? What does electronics mean? I mean, electricity mean I can't turn a light on, mean I can't watch TV. And so, so they will cross that line time and time again. And we do that within our own lives as well. We know what sin is because of the law. So the law is not, it, it doesn't mean that we don't obey the law, but we are not bound by it with heavy weight. Why? And we're going to get into this. Because of the relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we want to, we long to obey the law. Why? Because the person who wrote the law, the lawgiver, the author of the law, now lives in us. Just like Jesus has a longing for the law, we have a longing for the law. It's like we want to obey naturally. When we tell our kids, here's a boundary, here's where you can and cannot go, eventually we hope they get to the point where, you know what, I'm not going to cross that boundary because I love my parents. I obey my parents, not because I'm going to get in trouble, not because I'm going to get grounded not because I'm going to be sent to my room the rest of the day. That kind of happens a little bit in Bennett House. But why? Because I respect my parents and I love them and I show them how I love them by what? Obeying the law and the house. That's basically what God did through his son Jesus. The law, the burden of the law... The condemnation of the law died with him on the cross. And because we can be reconciled through him, we want to obey that law because we love Christ. Now, so the law can still convict us of sin, as we just read, like coveting. We covet, the law convicts us of that. But it doesn't condemn us. What condemns us is our Sin, our unconfessed sin, our unconfessed sin. Let me say, well, Frank, does that mean that if I accept Christ as Savior and if I try to my best to walk with him and try to be a Christ follower, if I mess up and if I sin, does that mean I'm going to hell? No, it doesn't. What that means is you slipped up, you messed up, and here's what you do. You confess that sin, you confess it, Say, Jesus, I, this was wrong. This was wrong. I confess this to you. And then the Bible teaches you repent from that by you turn 180 degrees and you walk away from that sin. And, and now if you continue to follow into the life of that sin, then, then, then you are not pleasing God. But the sin... In our life, the unconfessed sin, for those who have not accepted Christ, that is what condemns us into hell. The law does not condemn, condemn us anymore. People are, who are, people are walking in condemnation. There are people who are not in church 
because they're walking their life and they're thinking that God is after them and God is condemning them. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. That is John 3, 17, right after the most popular verse in the Bible. I didn't come here to condemn you. I came to, I came to save you. So people are walking around with condemnation. They're free from that. We are free from condemnation. We are free from the law. There might be people here today because of things you've done in the past. And you know what those are. You're living in condemnation like as if God cannot love you. That is a lie, and the enemy is trying to win that over on you, and probably has. So there is now, and we're going to get that more into chapter 8, but there is, we are free from that condemnation. Now, the sin, that I, the sin that I was talking about earlier, when we accept Christ as Savior, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the third part of the Trinity, comes and lives inside us. So because of that, we now have what is called a, a sinful nature, and we have a spiritual nature. Let's read a little bit about that in verse 14 through 25. Chapter 7, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. I, have you ever, ever asked that question? I have. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Is, do you ever feel like this? Ugh. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Hey, he's wrestling here. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is a sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me from Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what he's, uh, what he's saying there, he's describing, he's describing there a, a life. Of, of, he's in a boxing ring. He's in a fight. And, and for those who are in Christ, those who accepted Christ as Savior, you can associate with this. I know I can. Every day there's, there's, there's a battle going on between my sinful nature, my flesh that I was born into, and the spiritual nature of Christ coming inside me. Can I tell you something? That is natural. If you're sitting here today saying, Frank, why do I wrestle with these thoughts? Why do I have, uh, feel like I'm fighting a fight inside me? It's because you are a believer. You have Christ inside you, and there's a war raging on. 
It is natural. Don't think you're weird or anything. There's a war raging on. And so, and we're going to see here in a second, chapter 8. So, how you live a life of victory over those things depends on which nature you feed and which nature, the sinful or the spiritual, which nature you allow to have control in your life. Which of those, the sinful nature or the spiritual nature, you feed the most is the one that's going to win every time. In Galatians 5, 16 through 18, it says this. This is Paul again, just a, a, different, a different letter, a different group of people. Galatians 5. It says, so I, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There it is again. There's so many people who are trying to live their life by doing good, by obeying, by following the law, and they don't have the spirit of Christ. And, and, and even if they do, if they have accepted Christ as Savior and the spirit is in them, the spirit is very shy within them because they don't allow the Holy Spirit to rise up and to speak truth in their life. They don't live by the spirit. They don't start the day by saying, Holy Spirit, help me today to live a life of victory. We're going to talk about how to live that victory in just a moment, chapter 8. Love chapter 8. But before we move on, this passage in Galatians, if you're having issues, wars, fightings within you, read this verse, memorize these two verses, uh, post it somewhere, remind yourself that the one you feed the most is the one that's going to win time and time again. So we have, we have freedom from the law. Paul describes that in chapter 7. And now in chapter 8, Paul says we have freedom from death. Remember, the law condemns us to what? To death. Well, the law died with Christ on the cross. And the only thing that can separate us, the only thing that can cause death in this is un, a life of unrepented sin, of not accepting Christ as Savior. But for those who have, and he's writing to Christians in this book, for those who have accepted Christ, we are free from death. Now, how can we be free from death? Here's how we're free from death. If we walk in the Spirit, because the Spirit gives us life. You know, in chapters 1 through 7 of Romans, the Spirit was only mentioned once. But in chapter 8, it is mentioned over 20 times in chapter 8. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is, is sort of the quiet of the Trinity. Many times we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, we got, we got God and we got Jesus. Then there's the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, three in one. You know, many times we just forget that the Holy Spirit even exists. 
I may have shared this with you. Here in the last few months, God is, is prompting my heart. When I pray, I, I mention the Holy Spirit. I speak, say, Holy Spirit, I call upon you. Fill me with your words. This morning, this morning when, when I was preparing my heart to, to preach and to share God's word, I said, Holy Spirit, fill me with your words, not my words. And so I want to encourage you to, to invite the Holy Spirit into your prayer life, into your day, because the Holy Spirit is there to free us from sin and death. The Holy Spirit is there to enable to fulfill God's law. It is a spirit that changes our nature. It is a spirit that gives us the ability to overcome the desires of the fleshly, sinful nature. Yes, those battles that you're facing, that we're facing, it might be easier if you could depend upon the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to come and give you power. There could be, this is an important phrase right here, there could be no success or progress in the Christian life apart from an utter dependence on the third person of the Trinity. There could be no success or progress in the Christian life apart from the dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Why? It gives you power. I believe it's so much that right now I'm preparing the next sermon series, and it's going to come in August. And it's a sermon series about the Holy Spirit. Because here's the deal. I'll give you a sneak peek. When Jesus left the earth and he told the disciples, look, I need to leave, and here's the reason why. I need to go to Henry Father. I'm going to prepare a place, but here's the most important reason I need to leave. I need to leave because when I leave, something else is coming, and it's the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, he's telling the disciples, I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit will give you power. And it will prove to you that the Holy Spirit, the Jesus inside you will be more powerful than the Jesus beside you. The Jesus inside you will be more powerful than the Jesus beside you. Some people think, man, if I could just have Jesus here in the flesh, if I could just walk in my day to have Jesus here. Some people are like, oh, man, I don't want Jesus here. <laughs> you know, uh, that's between you and God. But it'd be, it, wouldn't it be easier just to, oh, Jesus, you're here in the flesh. Can I tell you something? He left, and he sent something more powerful than himself. He sent the Holy Spirit. Why is it more powerful? Because the Holy Spirit can be everywhere. It's like Wi-Fi. Remember the days of, of AOL dial-up? You know, you plug it into your computer, and you're waiting, and you, you're actually plugged in, all right? And then now we're at the point where we have Wi-Fi. It's everywhere. Jesus, he was here on earth. He was plugged in. Holy Spirit, Wi-Fi. It's a good way to look at it. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. The Holy Spirit can speak to me, and the Holy Spirit can, can speak to you, and it could be the, the same word, the same message. And guess what? That's how God directs the church, directs his bride. He talks through the Holy Spirit. That's how we can have life. 
I don't want to get too much into that because I'm giving you too much of a sneak peek into that. But we have freedom from death. Now, uh, we, have, uh, we have freedom in that death. We have freedom from condemnation. We kind of talked a little bit about this earlier in Romans chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 1. This, we're getting into some awesome, awesome verses um, here in, um, in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation but those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation. The law cannot condemn you. So we, uh, we have freedom from condemnation. Um, and and how, do, how do we have freedom from death? Another way is uh, in... in uh, it's accomplished through the death, not the law. In Romans uh, 8, 3 through 4, it says, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. So, it, if we have life through the Spirit, that means we, have, we, are, we are free from the law of sin and death. We are free from condemnation if we have the Holy Spirit walking inside. So, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are free from that condemnation. If you have the Holy Spirit, then you are free from the power of sin and death. Your, your, your mortal minds, our mortal minds that hold that sin and, and it just trickles down to every part of, of where we are, that has no power. Why? Because we have the Spirit living inside us. We have Jesus inside us, which is more powerful than the Jesus beside us. So we're free from the power of sin. If we walk in the Spirit, we are also free from that sin. How can we have that freedom from the power of sin? Freedom is for those who set their minds. Freedom is for those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul goes into it in uh, chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to what the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind controlled by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So it's basically saying we, those who, those who walk in the spirit, how do you know you're walking in the spirit? It's because you have your minds set on those things that are of the spirit. We, we can go into the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the attributes of the Spirit. The, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you know you have the Holy Spirit that's actually growing inside you and is producing those fruit, that fruit of those characteristics of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those. And you have your mind set on Spiritual things, not fleshly things. That's how you know you're controlled by the Spirit. Freedom from the power of sin 
is for those who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your, your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Here's a, here's a fact. The fact is this. If you're living a life, if you're constantly having your mind set on, on fleshly things, on sinful things, whether you're, you're, you're a believer or not, whether you have the, uh, the Spirit of Christ in you or not, if, you have, if you're living that life with those things on your mind, then it's like death is starting to eat away at your life. And it's like you walk around in this life feeling like, man, I'm just, I'm just dead. I'm just, I just feel, I just don't have any life. I don't have any spiritual life. It could be that maybe your mind is thinking on things that are not of the spiritual nature. It could be that your mind is going places that it should not be going. You could be, you could be whether it be gossip or, or, or role-playing in your mind of things people could be saying about you. That's of the enemy. Or, or putting things in your mind, seeing things through your eyes, into your mind, which goes into your heart, and it eats up every part of who you are. And it's like, it sucks the life out of you. I've met many Christians who, they've been in season in their life where you feel like, man, it just, it feels like I'm just walking, I'm, I'm a zombie, I'm just walking dead. Why? Because we have things, we think of things that are contrary to the Spirit. So those People who have the life of the Spirit, they think on those things that are of the Spirit. Here's another thing they do. They crucify the flesh. They crucify the flesh. In Romans uh, 8, 12 through 13, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. So Paul's saying, look, you, you need to put to death those things that are of the fleshly nature, of the sinful nature that's starting to control your life. You need to put to death those things. You need to crucify the flesh. And, and what that looks like is this. Say, well, Frank, what, what do I do? I get a cross and crucify something? You crucify it in your mind. You replace it with Scripture. That's one way to do it. Things that you're, things that are, that you're fighting against, that war that's raging inside you, there are, there are things in God's Word that you can look up and you can find to replace those things with Scripture. Through prayer, ask people to pray for you. Pray to the Holy Spirit to give you power to help you with that. Crucify the flesh. Do everything you can to turn away from that. Replace it 
Walk away from it. Crucifying the flesh. Those people who have the spirit of God in you, who are growing, who are producing that fruit of the spirit, they're the ones who are daily crucifying the flesh. And let me tell you something. This is something you have to do on a daily basis. I'm crucifying that bad thought. That bad thought that keeps coming to my mind every day, I've had enough of it. It died on the cross with Jesus. I have victory over that. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within me, and I have that power to defeat that because the same Jesus who walked on this earth now lives inside me, and the Jesus that lives inside me is more powerful than the Jesus that could be beside me. So I'm going to crucify that flesh. That's how you have victory over sin. Another characteristic of people who have the Spirit of God is that you are heirs with Christ. Freedom from the power of sin for heirs with Christ in, in uh, verses 14 through 17. It says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We adopted three children about three years ago. Those children, those children will receive the same inheritance, whatever that might be. They'll receive the same inheritance that our three biological children receive. They're our children. I talk to uh, our, our, our new three kids from time to time about what they experience. And every once in a while, I'll kneel by Marion's bed. She's got a double bed. She's got a big room. And we'll talk about, Marion, remember what your orphanage bedroom looked like? She goes, yes. I could barely fit on it. It was so small, my bed. And there were about 15 or 16 beds in that one big room. Now, I have a big bed, and I have my own room. She is an heir. She belongs to us. I'm her father. Jesus, God, God wants to be your father. Because if you associate with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are heirs with Christ. You are heirs with Christ. We are heirs with Christ. We are. Get heaven, and we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And so what are the blessings, as we close this out, what are the blessings of being the children of God? So uh, in, in verse 18 um, through 25, it talks about this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, 
But hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they have already seen or already have. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. What are the blessings of being called the children of God? God reveals himself in us. God reveals himself in us. It's amazing as we have watched these, these three that we adopted. It's amazing to see the transformation in their life. How, how their, their, their life is, their hair's growing healthier, their body's healthier, they, they've opened up. They've, they, it's like they've always been a part of our family. It's like they're a Bennett. It's like God took a brand and branded them. You're a Bennett. And it's like, how does that happen? It's, a, it's amazing. It just happened. Why? Because we showed them love. We showed them love. God chose you love through his son Jesus. And he, the more that God can love you and the more you allow God's love to penetrate your life through his Holy Spirit, the more that you become like God through his glory. And that's a big word called sanctification. We become like Christ. And it is a process. We have help of the Holy Spirit. We, uh, that's another benefit. Help of the Holy Spirit. And all things work together for good. In verse, uh, in verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know that we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wor- uh, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is saying, look, you have favor. You have favor with me. All things are going to work together for good. For those who are he called according to his purpose, those who called themselves believers, verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to his image of his son, and that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We are, we are the heirs of Christ. We are the embodiment of, of what God, what Christ looks like. We are, have glorified. We show his glory because we have been justified by faith. And because of that, we are more than conquerors. Verse 31. What then shall we say? In response to these things, if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is, not God, is, it is God who justifies. Who then is one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that was raised to life. It is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, a persecution, a famine, or nakedness, or danger, a sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor the powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation 
we are able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And those last few verses, there are people here today, you need to take those verses and you need to eat those up because you're walking around in this life with condemnation and you think that God doesn't love you. You think that God has separated himself from you. You think you are not worthy to be called a son. You don't think you, don't, you aren't joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If you have accepted Christ as Savior, you have the spirit of Christ within you and you are joint heirs. You are justified by faith. You have the favor of God. Don't think you do because you do, and nothing can separate you from that. So I want to encourage you, walk around in victory. Walk around with your life like saying, I am a child of the king of the world. He's king of the world. God, the Father, king of all creation. You and I, if we accepted Christ, we our children of the king. We're going to inherit eternal glory and our salvation is ours for the taking. So walk around in that victory. If there's people here today, you say, well, Frank, I've never accepted Christ as Savior. I don't know what that looked like. I don't, I don't know what it means to be redeemed, to be made new. This, this new life in Christ, this new spirit that you talk about, yeah, I'm one, of those, I'm one of those zombies. I need that new life. If you need that new life, you could do that today.